this passage, I, I love this passage. It's about uh, so much good stuff. But first, uh, when I was a senior in high school, uh, some of my dad and my mom's colleagues uh, came to me and my brother. We were musicians. Uh, we were in high school, so it was, you know, average musicians. Uh, but they came to us because they knew we liked music, and they invited us to go to a U2 and Phil Collins concert. Uh, they were going to be 30 feet from the stage, and it was amazing. You know, I, you know, it was 18 years ago, but Rolling Stone magazine described that tour as the greatest show on earth of all time. It was pretty amazing. It was at the same time they were describing you too as just the greatest act to ever walk the face of the earth. It was pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, they were such a big band that Phil Collins was the opener. And some of you might be like, I don't know who Phil Collins is. If you ever watch the movie Tarzan, all that good music is Phil Collins. <laughs> Uh, I can't tell you how amazing it was to see Bono just blare out Sunday, bloody Sunday. Uh, in this brand new stadium, Portugal had just built all of these stadiums. They're still paying for them. Uh, it, but it was like this brand new stadium. It was like SoFi at the time. So it was like 90,000 plus people gathered uh, to see that, to hear the edge do the riff on where the streets have no names, right? For, also for you kids, sing too. There it is. <laughs> With the adults, yeah. I can't tell you how awesome that whole experience was uh, because I didn't go. I didn't want to deal with the crowded subway. I was like, oh, that's going to be so much. I was a senior in high school. I didn't get invited. My girlfriend wasn't invited, so I was like, I don't know. I can't go do that. I... <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I stayed home. I didn't even go out with my girlfriend. I stayed home, and I played video games with my brother. What? It's one of the biggest non-important regrets of my life. <laughs> and today's parable is really about that kind of glorious invitation to, like, the great thing that you, like, once in a lifetime kind of invitation and then our excuses, and then God's unwavering desire, his unrelenting actions to host a grand party for everyone. That's what this parable is about. It's Luke chapter 14. It comes right after uh, the part that we read last time we were together. I'll read it for us. It says this, when one of those at the table uh, with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has already been done, but there is still room. 
Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be their disciple. He says, so suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is God's word. This is a story of a really great banquet, uh, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of feast, you know, food and drink and joy. Uh, it's the type of party that you save for years so that you can throw it. Uh, back then, they would have purchased animals years in advance so that they could get them all fat and all ready, so that when the feast came, when it was time to have the feast, they would have the choicest of beef, the best of lambs to serve to everyone. Uh, you would send servants to distant, distant lands to bring back delicacies and spices and wines and drinks, all these wonderful things so that you could give it to others. It was that kind of thing. It's where you build a special table. They would build a, a table just for the party itself. One of my big dreams. Uh, it's the kind of party that you learn a special dance for, right? We've all been or seen the awkward father of the bride who's like, I just learned how to do this, Right? It's that kind of party. Uh, it's why there was a double invitation. We kind of get this today. We send out a save the date, and then later we send out the invitation. For us, it's more of a like, hey, here's the cheap invitation. Don't worry, a really expensive one's coming later. But for them, it was, hey, just so you know, I've started doing all the work to prepare a huge party and a huge feast. Be, be aware that I am now in the process of building, preparing, creating a party for you. That was the first invitation. And it was done in the same way. Servants would go out. They would speak to everyone. Hey, the, the master of the big house is throwing a party for you. And then the second invitation was this. Hey, it's ready. It's ready now. It's time. It's time to come. Let me carry you and bring you to the party. I mean, it was the kind of thing like, here, hop onto the horse carriage, and I will take you there. Uh, they would give uh, that kind of proclamation. It was really great that the banquet is set and ready. The table is now overflowing with food, with fresh fruits and desserts. The roasted lamb, it's so tender. It's so juicy. The beef ribs, they're smoldering. Uh, the, the bread is fresh and warm. The sausages are so rich that, that your stomach is going to hurt for days afterwards. The cheeses have been open. The olives have been picked. You can smell the fresh parsley from miles away. 
The wine has been poured from the large casks into the small carafes. The musicians have tuned their instruments. It's a feast. It's ready. The second one goes out. The second invitation comes on. Hey, everybody, now is the time. Come and enjoy this. And this invitation was sent to many, many people. Everybody is going to be there. What a thing, right? What a party. I mean, it's free. It's elaborate. Uh, Jesus tells us that he's giving it without any occasion. He doesn't describe it as, hey, this is a wedding party, or this is a party of peace, or this is a party to bring people together, like a reconciliation unity quilt kind of meal. It's like, no, this is just for no reason. The master just wants to throw a big party and invite you all into it. It's pretty great. Just to welcome and just to bless. You're invited. Come and drink. Come and eat. You know, the invitation to follow Jesus is that kind of invitation. I think some of us, maybe we, we walk so long in it that we forgot that it was, it's that kind of invitation. When people come to us and say, Jesus is the king of the world, he died, he rose again, he's conquered all the sad things, and he's making everything beautiful again, and you're invited to that. We're like, oh, that's awesome. And then we walk along and we forget that we've been invited to such a feast, to such a reality, to such a life like that. You know, humanity was created for that kind of feast, You know, all the food, all the fruit, all the communion, the lush surroundings in the Garden of Eden, it's that kind of place, walking and communing with God. We were created in the environment of a great banquet. The garden was formed as that kind of never-ending, extravagant place. But now, in, in our rebellion, ironically, we chose a different feast, right? Like, that's the story. That's the reality. Humanity saw a different feast. We grabbed it. We took it in. We ate it. First Eve, then Adam, then all of us, right? We're hungry now. We're desperate. Not in the garden. We're now wandering in the wilderness. We're alone. We're struggling. You know, we're engulfed in the kind of chaos and scenarios that doesn't even allow us to think of extravagant parties, But the prophets, they foretold that what God was doing was going to, and what he longed to do was to recreate and to bring everyone back into that kind of feast. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 25, the prophet describes uh, really, really beautiful. He's talking about how God's name will be exalted. He's going to take a rubble, a city of rubble, and he's going to fortify it. He's going to bring in all these foreigners. He's going to do all of these things. And then in verse 6, he says this. He says, on this mountain, where all the ruthlessness has stopped, he says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. The wine is so good that Isaiah talks about it twice. He says, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all the peoples. The sheet that covers all the nations. He's going to destroy all the evil, all the darkness, all of those things. That's what he's going to do on this mountain. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. 
And he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And I know this isn't on the slides, but he says this. In that day, he will say, God will say, or or they will say, we will say, sorry, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Isaiah is saying, not only were we created for a feast, but there's a time when God will gather all of the people together and they will sit and they will eat and the shroud of evil will be taken down. The curse of death will be swallowed by this God and we will sit there and we will say, we can trust in him. And what's gonna be at the table is great food and great wine and great meats because we've been invited into that kind of life. When Jesus says you're come into the kingdom of God, he's saying, come into this thing. But that's not really the the end of that kind of motif or that theme in scripture. At the very end of of the scriptures, in Revelation chapter 19, uh, you know you're getting a huge biblical theology. Or maybe you did, because you come here every Sunday. Anyway, at the very end of it all, when when John is trying to describe this, this world made right, like not just the, the, the Lord's Supper and the communion of Jesus and all of that. He's talking about at the very end, what are we going to do? And he talks about how all the living creatures are going to gather around. They're going to worship God. They're going to sing hallelujah, uh, praise his name, all of that. And then it says in 19 verse 6, it says, Then I heard, that's John, what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder and shouting. He's talking about the voices of millions. And he says, this is what they're going to be shouting. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And he gives us a little parenthesis. The fine linen stands for the righteousness of God's holy people. That we've been clothed in that. And so we're walking into this amazing feast. And then the angel said to me in verse 9, Write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. This is the invitation. There is no greater invite I mean, even if I would have said yes to Bono and Phil, this would be like far surpassing. Even if there was this big banquet that's going to be held in Paris this week, and then we're going to, hey, we're going to bring all these Russian people and all these Ukrainian people, we're going to throw a big party and then we're going to be okay. This is better. This is greater. The invitation into this life, the life of the kingdom, isn't just from hungry to like, I've got some food in my belly now. It's, it's from uh, starving to stuffed. You know, it's not from, you know, I'm alone in the midst of this world, and now I'm kind of in the midst of, you know, some people know me. It's, no, you are abandoned, and now you belong with the seat at the table. That it's, it's from thirsty to satisfied. I think often we think about the gospel and the kingdom and that we went from this big deficiency to now we're at balance. We get this balanced life now. Like, oh, we were, we were really needy and now we're just even. 
No, the kingdom of God is about going from a huge deficit to now an unbelievable surplus of the kingdom of God and God's rule and reign in your life. That's the invitation, period, right? What a feast. But some of us don't come. When the second invitation comes out and it says, hey, this party's ready. Like, we get to walk into this kingdom of God now. We choose alternative feasts. We choose other masters. The master goes and he says, invite the poor, invite the sick, invite the blind, the people who would have been left out, invite them. But then the servant says, we've already done that. It's kind of great. It's like they expected that those are the people that the master wanted to invite. It's like in his character to invite those people. But the truth is that the invitation to accept it is costly. Even to the greatest party, the greatest of events, it costs. They talk about it. There's the economic costs. I just bought some new land. I want to go see it. Kind of like, I want to go make sure it's still my land. Like, if I don't go and I don't walk at it, if I don't walk around the the field, someone else is going to come and claim it for themselves. So I've got to go grab that myself. Or there's the career thing. You know, I'll follow Jesus uh, once I'm fully realized in all of these other things. Once I put my life in order. He's talking about 10 huge cows that can move stuff. But really, uh, we do the same thing, right? Once I've set this stuff in order, once my business is right, then I will say yes to that kingdom life. There's the relational component. I just got married. You know, they're they're supposed to spend a year just like having a honeymoon. It's pretty fun. Some of us, like our honeymoon's three days or seven days. They're like, no, for a year. And they're like, no, we can't interrupt that to go to this party. I think for us, like, we will follow Jesus more fully, more completely. We will walk in all of those truths. I will come to the party. I will come to the banquet once my family, once my relationship is all set in order. I think the irony of those first three is that they think, we think that we're the ones who can set that stuff into order. We think that, hey, I can do this and it'll be great. And then I'll do that. And then there's the, the, the poor and the crippled and the lame, and they don't come, but they were invited. You know, culturally, uh, they would have felt and experienced so much shame in that environment. Like when you show up to a party well underdressed, and not cool like Yeezy underdressed, like blatantly underdressed, They would have felt that sort of shame and that horror of, we're not supposed to be here. The the people staring at them and looking at them, they didn't want to be seen in that way, in that light. Them and their, their ragged garments and then this lavish feast. They just didn't want that. They would say, I will follow Jesus more fully. I'll walk in that kingdom once I piece together my life. Once I put things into order. Once I get over my addictions, once I find my own healing, then I will walk into it. I want to make myself worthy first, and then I'll come. Kind of like I want to walk into this party as one of those other guests that should be there, 
because they think that they shouldn't, right? I want to make myself worthy and deserving. The other way to describe the cost of that kind of shame is to describe it simply as pride. I'm too strong and too good of a man or too, too powerful of a woman to walk in and be needed like that kind of invitation where I'm, I'm the poor and the vulnerable there. See, the thing is that every invitation comes with a cost. That's why we struggle so much to commit around here, right? I think that they invented the maybe thing on Google iCal because they're like, well, no one in Los Angeles is gonna use Google Calendar unless we put in maybe. Only then will people use this because it's asking too much of people to say yes or no. And so we say, maybe. Why do we say maybe? Like, maybe I'll go to your, you know, Super Bowl party. Maybe I'll show up to that soccer. Maybe I'll do it. Why do we say maybe? Because we know saying yes is saying no to other things. You have to say no to say yes. You have to. And I I just kind of wonder for us, you know, why do you say no to invitations in this life when things are fun and simple, like parties or concerts, because it's probably why you say no to Jesus also. For me as a high school kid, I said no because I I didn't want to be discomforted, even for a second. I just wanted to be comfortable. I mean, I can even remember thinking, well, they're going to release this on VHS, and I can watch it. I remember it was about six years later when, you know, you could buy videos on iTunes when that first came out. It was awesome. For $25, I bought a digital version of that concert. And I just want you to know it's not the same. (laughs) So my question is, why do you say no to invitations in this life with the things that are trivial? It's probably why you say no to Jesus also. There's simply a cost to following him. Nothing is actually free. Right after this parable, Jesus sees big crowds following him. And so he shares two other small parables. First, he says, though, that if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to walk this walk that I'm doing, they're going to have to hate even their own life. Whoever doesn't carry their own cross and follow me is not going to be my disciple. The invitation is extraordinary, right? We all said amen. We all got excited about that. It will cost you your sense of identity, your self-made identity, your self-made economic kingdom. It will cost you your self-made family peace. It will cost you all of that because Jesus is saying it can only happen. You can only walk into that banquet if you align everything else behind the kingdom. Only when all of those other things are behind you, and Jesus is the only thing in front of you, will you walk into this? There's just no other way. It will cost you your pride, your shame, your control. You have to submit your entire self for him to do and to mold with all of those things whatever he wants. And there's no other way to do it. I'm just here to tell you that. And so that's why Jesus tells these two short parables He says, consider the cost. There's all these people, they're like, 
Jesus is leading us to a really great party in the city. Let's walk after him. And then he says, I want you to understand before you do this, to to count the costs, to do your return on investment analysis. There's the cost of uh, building a house, he says. Before you build the tower, you know, make sure you can finish it, right? Like that's what everyone's going to do. So count the costs before you follow me. Because you can't just lay a foundation and move on. Like that's embarrassing. That's what he says. Then he says he goes on to talk about war, right? If you're going to go into war and you're going to fight this battle, count the cost first. Count the cost. So he, he tells us, is it worth it? Is the outcome of my kingdom worth it for you? I think the amazing thing about Jesus saying this is that he's already decided that your transformation and this world's transformation is worth it. He's already decided that the great and terrible cost of that banquet is worth paying. See, he's already decided, I'm going to lay my life down as the cornerstone, as Peter describes, as the foundation of the church. I'm going to lay my own life down, Jesus says, so that I can build my house. He's already decided it's worth it. He looked at all the costs to build a tower, and he said, I will do it with my own life. He's already gone to war. He's already battled hell. He's already fought the grave itself. And he's matched up against death and sin, and he's won. He counted the cost, and he's victorious. He's already decided, I'm not going to go negotiate peace. I'm going to win the war. I'm going to liberate all the captives. He's decided that you and me and this world is worth it already. He's already set the table. He's already throwing the party. The marriage of the the lamb uh, being married to the bride, he's already decided he's doing that. That cost, he's already paid. The feast of restoration, the invitations are out. He says it's worth it to him. The whole grand narrative of the world with himself paying the costs is worth it. He's already decided that your transformation and the transformation of the world is worth the cost. And so he asks you, have you decided that he is worth it? Have you decided that that table, to sit at the table, is worth losing your pride and your kingdoms and your little things that you're in charge of now? Have you decided that his kingdom is worth it? We have just this classic, and we've talked about this before, I'll share the drawing later this week, this classic high invitation, high cost situation. You remember we talked about this months ago? Where the the kingdom to follow Jesus, it's the greatest thing you will ever be invited to. And it will also be the greatest cost you will have to give. Is Jesus worthy of your life? Because he says, being a follower of his, being a disciple, can't be this optional add-on thing. It has to be your life. Do you want to go to the party uh, that he's preparing, that he's already hosting? Uh, We're about to go to communion, and what you're getting is the appetizer for that banquet. 
You're getting the appetizer of that glorious feast where the crowds and the multitudes of his church will sound like roaring thunder as we declare he is worthy. Like worthy is the lamb. Worthy is this feast. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask uh, that we would consider the cost of following you and with great delight we would come in. I thank you for your unrelenting pursuit of us to fill uh, your feast. Jesus, I thank you for your body and your blood given for us that as we come and take, we are participating and we are tasting the joy of your kingdom and the great cost in which it was purchased. And we delight in our peace and this life. Help us to die today so that we can live to you. Amen.